getting me now? We're not getting me. I'll keep going, Mace. So you, there we go. I'm coming through, coming through. No, I'm changing to the handheld. It's great to be sitting up the front and hearing you all sing because, you know, during the week I hear about you all meeting in different small groups and praying for each other. I've heard about some of the times, you know, some of you have just been praying so deeply for one another at the times and caring for each other in your small groups during the week. And you hear about that, but when you come together on Sunday and we sing, How Great Is Our God, I just feel my heart so full as our church together uplifts and praises his name corporately on Sunday. What a great day it is today. And it's great that you're here uh, this morning as well. I want to say welcome. If you're a visitor or if you're here for the first time, we want to especially welcome you. Uh, we hope that today you'll get to meet new people and that you'll make yourself known. You'll stay for a coffee afterwards. And our hope and prayer is that you'll realise that there is a sense of community, a sense of family in this place that you can't get in any other clubs around Albury, Wodonga. Because this is nothing like a soccer club or a footy club or a, any, any kind of club. This is a church where people experience the love of God and love one another with that same kind of love. And so we hope this morning you feel part of a family and that you're welcomed and that if you're not in a small group, you would uh, f- feel like you'd be interested in joining one so that you can experience more of that community right through the week as well. So it's great that you're here. We want to just put, draw your attention to uh, the blue cards. They're inside your uh, news sheet as well. And if you just uh, pull that out there, um, this is just a, a way of you um, letting us know, firstly, you are here. It's also a way of um, praying. If there's some prayer needs that you have, there's a group that meet each Wednesday morning and just lift up the prayers that you put on, on, on the blue card. And so if there's anything that you would like to be prayed for, uh, we would love you just to, to put that in and we'll pray for you. Also, uh, if there's any decisions that you want to make, um, during the service or any time, it's uh, just a way of indicating that you're making that decision today. So we just want to encourage you to consider that and fill that out. And at the end of the service, when we take up our offering, uh, you'll have an opportunity to place those in uh, the news sheet as well. Uh, sorry, in the offering bowls as well. This morning, you have your news sheet in front of you, and just some great items. Just want to draw your attention to. Coming up, you know, people often say, "Hey, uh, the Bible." Isn't it being disproved because of evolution theories? And sometimes you might not know what to say. Well, there's an opportunity to come and invite those friends that you might have been talking to about that on uh, Saturday the 22nd of November, 7.30pm. Details on the front of the news sheet. It'll be a great opportunity to hear from Creation Ministries. The other things just on the inside this Thursday is our um, friendship group. If you haven't got along to that, it would just be wonderful to, to see what goes on there. Bowls, cards, games, videos and fellowship. Getting to know one another and uh, loving one another. That's great. Also, uh, Thanksgiving service is coming up just in two weeks' time. And we'd, we'd really like you to give us uh, some things that might be part of that service. So 100 words. What are you thanking God for? What he's been doing in your life? What, what are you giving thanks to God for? And we'd love you just to fill that out email it to the church email and um, that'll be great part of preparing for our Thanksgiving service in two weeks. The other thing too is to know that uh, Christmas Musical has lots of 
needs that are, are there and we'd just love you to consider those and think about those, uh, read through those and make sure you don't miss all the opportunities there are to serve um, in the Christmas musical as well. We've got a uh, music workshop coming up, Grant Norsworthy, and the details are there, but Grant's going to be speaking at our morning service on that weekend as well about worship. So we're looking forward to hearing from Grant as well in the next couple of weeks. I wonder if you have your Bibles with you. I hope you do. It would be great if you would open them this morning. And we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. And today we're going to be talking about contentment. And in our world, it's a real uh, need for us. Um, there's so much discontent around and we experience it ourselves. So what we're going to be doing is reading... Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and we're going to read from verses 3 to, 10, uh, 3 to 11 and then we're going to drop down to verses 17 and 19 and we're going to read through that section as well. So let's read 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verses 3 to 10 firstly. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many grieves. But you, man of God, Flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. And Paul then explains how to do that, but we'll jump down to verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good and be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up for themselves treasure. Uh, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So this morning, as we look at this, we're going to look at contentment and how Paul says that 
by doing these things, we can lay hold of the life that is truly life. Let's pray together, shall we? God, this morning, we come to you to worship you, to meet with one another and to proclaim how great is our God, how great you are. And God, yet uh, so often in our lives, we look around us and we compare and we try to acquire things and we often are so discontent. And God, this morning we pray that you would speak to us from your word and that you would speak to us as we come around your table and remind us of where true contentment lies. God, help us to know how that we can find uh, this contentment that you speak of, this life that is truly life. God, we pray for that in our world where we see so many people that are uh, hungry and starving, so many people that are facing political unrest and violence and bloodshed, so many people that are suffering from nat national, natural disasters, Lord. God, we think of our, our world today and we pray for those in Malawi, uh, the Yao people. We lift them up and we pray for them in their poverty and their uh, sickness with so much AIDS and suffering. And we pray for those that are taking the good news and helping to uh, allow them to understand that in their own culture and context. Well, we pray for the really sad reports that we've heard from Congo just these recent days of the violence and um, people fleeing the, 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 the violence there. Lord, we pray for those in Pakistan re recovering after floods and, Lord, for those in India who are Christians facing, facing uh, persecution for their faith. Lord, we pray for America as it goes to the poles and we uh, pray for uh, just acknowledging that you're God who's sovereign. And uh, we pray, God, that you would just lead that country in its future as well. And God, for us, we pray for uh, this sense of contentment in our lives as we look to you. Help us to look to you each and every day, God, for strength, to take up our cross daily, to continue to serve and love others as we love and are loved by you. God, help us to take this good news of how true contentment True forgiveness, true joy can only be found in you to other people in our community, in our lives, in our, in our surroundings. Lord, today we thank you. And our response is to give our lives afresh to you, to offer ourselves to you again this morning, Lord, and to say, speak to us, speak into our lives as we surrender ours to yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Gathered here together and witnessed three people being baptised and they demonstrated their surrender to God, their love for Jesus, their surrender to him as they were baptised. And we talked about surrender and how God wants us to surrender everything. And right now we've just come and we've sung, Lord, I bring an offering to you. You know, God, I come to you this morning and I bring an offering to you. Why? Because <laughs> there's no one on earth 
deserves the praises that you deserve. Uh, Jesus, may you receive the honour that you're due. Our Lord, I bring an offering to you. Why in a world where so many people say it's all about me, it's, it's all about my rights, it's all about me getting for myself the things that I deserve. Would we come, arms open, to say, God, we bring an offering to you? Well, Paul knew why we should do this. You'll remember as we're in 1 Timothy, he said, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Paul knew his sinfulness. You know, he'd been uh, persecuting, he'd been uh, pursuing Christians, he'd been uh, fighting against God and Jesus himself. Even though he thought he was going the right way, he had been uh, doing so much to disrupt what God was doing. He saw himself as the worst of sinners. And this morning we can look and say, that's okay for Paul. But in the quietness of our own hearts, we know that we too are those who are sinners. Each and every day, uh, our heart wrestles with whether we should do God's will or our own will. And that's why coming back to the table time and time again is an opportunity for us to remember that it's only through God's grace, only through sending his son that we can be saved. Paul goes on and he says, but for that very reason, because I was the worst of all sinners, God, Jesus Christ, because I was the, the, the worst of all sinners, I was shown mercy. I was shown mercy when God sent his son so that God might show his unlimited grace, his incredible mercy is what Paul was saying, so that others would see the example of forgiveness in his life. And follow him. This morning, as we come around this table, we're reminded of two things. We are great sinners, but in Christ, we have received his unlimited grace. And as we come, it's all through what Jesus has done on the cross dying on the cross, taking upon himself our sin, our punishment, dying the death that we deserve so that through faith in Jesus Christ we might be saved. This table is welcome to everybody. Whoever you are, you're able to drink and take from this. The one thing that would stop you though is an unwillingness to recognise your sin an unwillingness to surrender your own self to God. 
through faith in Jesus Christ and to come to him and say, there's no other way that I can be saved except through him. Have you surrendered? Are you offering your life as an offering to God this morning? Then come and take of this meal. Not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus had done. Let's pray together. And as we pray, Ken Stevens is going to lead us in prayer. Uh, let us uh, come together and pray as we make an offering of ourselves to God today. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today to participate in communion, the situation that has brought this about is best described by your word in Isaiah chapter 53, where the prophet prophesied about Jesus. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We do confess today, dear Lord, that each of us, each one of us here has failed you in what we've done and we've, what we've said and what we've thought, as well as what we've not done and not said and not thought. We come to you this morning asking for your forgiveness. Lord, our desire is to be in right relationship with you before we participate in this meal. We thank you for the free gift of your grace and your mercy through the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross. We also thank you for the faith that you provide when we ask. We thank you also for the incredible gift of the Holy Spirit who comes into us when we believe. We thank you for loving us so much that you do permit us to come into a personal relationship with you through our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you also for your provision for us as individuals and also as a church, as a part of the body of Christ. So today, we are very conscious of all your blessings that you pour unto us as we come to your table to share in communion with you. So with thankful hearts, Lord, we come and we pray this in the wonderful name of our Saviour, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul said... In 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord that which I passed unto you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As you have served the bread this morning, why don't you take it and eat it as you served it and give thanks that Christ died for you. His body was bruised. He put, was put to death so that you could be forgiven. And as you serve the cup, hold on to it. And together we'll drink to recognise the fact that while he died personally for you, 
He's placed you in a family, uh, his church, his body, and together he's building his kingdom that will never end and will be forever. Let's drink this and eat this and share in this meal with thanksgiving. together in faith in Christ. What a beautiful time it is, isn't it, when we reflect on, on what Jesus did and it's just a time to um, honour God and just to give thanks to him again and just to, to continue to worship him and look at his glory. And this next song, Highest, it just says um, that your love, O Lord, is like the ocean, deeper than endless seas. And when you really think about it, God's, God's love is, is endless, is timeless. Let's just give thanks and praise to him again. Well, um, I wonder, um, 
it's, if you experience what I do, I think it's amazing the way we can talk ourselves into sort of situations when it comes to our money that when we look back, we're surprised at how we could have convinced ourselves about certain purchases we make. I wonder if you've ever been in the kind of um, conversation with your family uh, where you've actually just seen something that you didn't know before existed, but now that you've seen it and you've discovered what it is, you explain to them how much you desperately need to have it, you know. They say, well, you didn't even need to know it existed a few minutes ago, and now you can't live without it. And you kind of justify and you talk about it and you come to the point uh, that you just have got to have that. And the arguments that we sometimes come up with uh, are just ludicrous. But what's going on behind all that? What is it that might happen in, in you and in I where we see something and we just feel like we, we want to have it? We want something more. Uh, we we want to have that thing. What, this morning, I just want to talk about what I think lies behind the surface and the motivations of many of the decisions that we make about the purchases and the things that we think we, we need. And it's something that we don't immediately think of, but it's just one word, and the word is discontentment. Now, you want to say that together? Discontentment. Just a, a simple word like that, which tends to just run around inside of us, an emotion that runs around inside of us. And it really, discontentment is primarily something that's a, a Western kind of thing. Um, and it's something that exists in more and more in cultures that have developed more and more in materialistically. So the more materialism you have in a culture, the more likely that our discontentment will rise. I don't know if anyone else experiences what I do when I walk into Bunnings just to buy one thing. You know, it doesn't have to be Bunnings, home hardware. I just, I'm just going there for one purpose. And then I walk out with like 10 different things. You know, you, you, when you see something, immediately you think of why you might need it often, you know. And, and you kind of ring and say, maybe we should get this, uh, maybe not. And it's kind of weird because when you see stuff, the things you didn't even think you needed or didn't even know existed, you create ways and means to get them and reasons why you should have them. And, and I think it just goes on in us all the time. And it's discontentment. There's something in me that says, I've got to have bigger, got to have better, got to have shinier, got to have newer. And, and we live in a culture that's like that. And I think what is happening is kind of new in that maybe in, in generations past, it was just when you heard that somebody got something new, uh, then it affected you, you know. But today, we see constantly the things that we don't have. We constantly things, see the new things that we haven't upgraded to yet. We constantly see the, the, the new uh, things on our TV screen, on our computer screens, you know, it pops up. On, our, on the radio, we hear about it, on, in our letterbox all the time. And it's almost like we're just bombarded with images of what we don't have and what we need and what we should have. And, and it, it fuels in a lot of us, not all of us, but but a lot of us, a discontent that comes from within. Um, I've got to have that. I, I need that. And 
what I thought I had was great until I realised there's a new one out, you know. Now I don't feel so good about what I had. It wasn't as great as what I, I thought I had. I've never, I'd, I'd never owned a new car in, in my life. And then the Baptist Union sent around some things saying, you know, pastors, we've got a special deal for you where if you uh, have this lease arrangement for nine to 12 months, you can have a brand new car and you just pay this sort of amount a month and every nine to 12 months, we'll just give you a brand new car. And so we talked about it and had some other friend pastors who'd done that. So we said, all right, why not? We'll, we'll give it a go. And so for the first time in my whole life, I would drive up to uh, traffic lights and I'd, young, tough blokes would look around and go, Mm, wow, look at that. Look at that car. That's a little beauty. I had a brand new Holden. This is about three or four years ago. And people would stop and look at me. I'd sit at the traffic lights and just smell. New car smell. You know, like all the leather and the all brand new kind of smell. And then, you know, after a year, we kind of looked and looked back and thought, oh, this isn't as good as what we thought it was going to be. And it's, it's not right for us. So we kind of gave the car back, you know. <laughs> And I thought, that's a good decision. You know, we got a Ford and, you know, it's, it's a good Ford. <laughs> I don't mean to bring all this stuff in. This shouldn't be talked about at church. But, but I was happy with my Ford. You know, it wasn't a really old one. It wasn't a brand new one, but it was a good Ford. And, I, you know, I remember just one day sitting at the traffic lights and someone pulls up in a brand new Holden again. And everyone on the side of the road looks at him, you know. <laughs> And all I can smell in my car is like body odour, you know. <laughs> and I'm thinking, maybe we should, you know, reconsider the deal. Maybe we should, maybe, I, maybe we made the wrong decision. And, and what starts to come up in me is this emotion to say, maybe I need to go back and get something bigger, better. And I don't know whether it's just me, but what's going on in there is an emotional response that can lead us to an action that sometimes is not the right action that we need. And I don't know what it's about you. Maybe it's for you, it's not a car, it's a, it's a kitchen, you know. You want a brand new kitchen, you want to upgrade, you've been, you know, or maybe it's the house, or maybe it's your clothes, or maybe it's certain things that drive you to say, you know, I want more, I want more, I want more. But deep within is an emotion that starts within us that reaches our brain and we try and figure out how we can respond, how we can get one, how we can upgrade. And if you stop long enough to kind of analyse it and step back a little bit, it's just insane. It's insane. And it's never going to end. It just keeps going and keeps going. And, and the problem with this discontent is that it's kind of an appetite, you know? It's something that just comes up and asks to be fed. And like any appetite, it's never uh, full and finally satisfied. You know, you can sit down, you can have a massive big meal and think, I'm just as full as I'm ever going to be. And then two hours later, you're back at the fridge again, you know, and you think, what's happened? And like our hunger... Is an appetite that needs to be fed. The true thing is that 
you look at people and you think, wow, gee, some people that are really, really big, you think, wow, you know, they've, they've probably got a small appetite. But no, the, the, the more you feed your appetite, do you know what the truth is? The more it, it grows. The more you keep feeding your appetite, the bigger it becomes. I mean, if you look at it in many uh, different, uh, different ways, that's true. Now, today, the problem is we have an appetite for more and it's not helped by the society that we're lived in. <laughs> we live in. I mean, every day you go back to the letterbox and out comes all the things that you don't have. Every time you turn on the telly, there's more things about what you, you don't have and how foolish you are if you still own the old model and what you need. And they don't just sit there and say, they scream at us. And, and constantly, as you watch those and you think, you think, oh, well, we need to upgrade. You know, I've only got a one gig and, and, and everybody else has got a four gig and now they've got a, like, 80 gig mega, mega, uh, you know, iPod and, and I need to upgrade. It's not enough anymore. And it's all around us and it's constant. So I suppose the question is, how do you, what do you do in that situation? Because there's an appetite that's there wanting to be fed. What do you do? Leave your wallet at home. Leave your wallet at home. <laughs> well, you know, the, the truth is, isn't it, that if we feed it, it's not going to make it go away, that appetite. There's no way where you just, if you just buy a little bit more stuff, the appetite's going to be fed. I mean, if you think about this, you know, with all other appetites, I mean, say you're a gambler and you feel, oh, I've got this ap- desire to gamble. I'll just have one go. Does that help ever feed the appetite? Or if you're not married and you, ha- and you're trying, you, you have a desire to have sex and you think, oh, it's so hard just remaining pure and, and being like that. And if I just had sex once, you know, that's going to res- stop that appetite from... What does it do? I mean, it makes it grow more, doesn't it, the more you feed it. And so the question is, yeah, we'll leave our wallet at home. We could actually, you know, chuck out our televisions, we could actually go and live in a place where we never get to see anybody else's and anything and we never know that anybody got a new anything ever. But I don't think that's practical, is it? We could do that. It would probably help a heap. But I don't think it's practical to be able to do that. So this is what we want to talk about in these next few minutes as we um, consider this. What do you do about this situation where we have an appetite, we live in this culture, and we have discontent. How, how on earth do we cope with this? How do we handle this discontentment and its appetite that never seems to be going away? Well, 1 Timothy 6 is just an incredible passage of Scripture. Uh, it, it just speaks so clearly um, to answer and help us in these kind of situations. And if you're not a Christian and you're here today for the first time, just as we open God's word, just, I just want you to be reminded of whether you believe it or not, the Bible is so practical to our lives. 
And if you're thinking about that, I just want to say you read other things you don't believe in, like, you know, like the newspaper or anything. Why don't you just start reading the Bible? Because uh, it, it speaks so much into our lives. And I think you'll find its words to be so true and, and from God. But as we look here, as we come, the 1 Timothy has been written by Paul and it's been written to Timothy and that's why it's called Timothy, the book. And we've been going through this book together and we've been finding that the whole reason that, that Timothy is at the church in Ephesus is because there's been false teachers that have been there and they've been causing all kinds of destruction. And so Paul writes a letter to Timothy who's there, who is left at the church and he's telling him how he should respond. You know, this church is in a crisis crisis with false teachers, people leaving the faith because of it, people moving away. And in challenging times, Paul writes to him to say, this is how a church can thrive in challenging times. These are the things I want you to do. And in this passage, Paul continues to address the false teachers. And you see right here at the very start, he, he, he talks about the false teachers. And I think um, what we're going to see as we look at, at, at this He's going to talk about the false teachers. He's going to talk about rich people in, in this uh, passage that we're going to look at today. And before you go, oh, oh, yeah, that's all right. I'm not rich, you know. Uh, in New Testament standards, you're rich. I mean, the time this uh, was written, people were uh, living hand to mouth, you know, every day. Uh, if they had enough to get by... Uh, for the day, that was good. If they had more than enough to get by for one day, more than enough food close to it, they were considered rich. And, you know, 95% of us, I think, you know, maybe 90, 95% of us in this room would not be living day by day wanting to know where our next meal is coming from. You know, some of us have more than one pair of, you know, jeans, one more, one, more than enough. If you're able to have a, a job where you can take the weekends off, I mean... That was unheard of back then. You know, you, to actually take a Sabbath off would have been trying to really, might have jeopardised your ability to get food that day. And so this is what this, this letter was written to. And when he says, talking to the rich, he's talking about those that have more than what's just basically minimum enough to get by. So if that's you, if you've got more in your fridge than you can eat in one day, if you've, if you've got savings in the bank, wow. Even if you're unemployed this morning, do you know the fact that you can actually apply for uh, some assistance from the government puts you well above what the people were in 1 Timothy today. So when you hear the word rich, you know, don't immediately go to our rich people. Uh, I think it applies to almost every one of us here today. So as, as we look and as we, as we come to this passage this morning and, and as, we, as we move into that, Let's remember that. So first of all, he, he, he comes to this part and he says, uh, he addresses the false teachers. He says, if anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is first of all conceited and understands nothing. So if you look in the New English Bible at, at this translation, it says they are pompous ignoramuses. So if you're a false teacher and you're distorting the truth, the gospel of Jesus Christ, then you're a pompous ignoramus. 
And I think what, what Paul is saying here, you know, if you're doing this, you're arrogant, you're proud, you're boastful, you're taking these words and distorting them and, and you're puffed up. I think he's talking about the kind of things he talks about in 1 Corinthians about some, for some people knowledge puffeth up and make them feel like they have everything. You know, they know everything. So they're not only conceited, but they understand nothing. And in, in 1 Timothy 1, 17, this is how he addressed them in a similar way. He said, they want to be teachers of the law, but they don't know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Have you ever come across people who have a hobby horse and they're so arrogantly bold about it that no other opinions stand, especially people who try and handle God's word in a way that sort of intimidates because they're manipulating what it says for their own gain. This is what was happening. You know, pompous ignoramuses, Paul calls them. Not only that, but these false teachers, it says, had an unhealthy interest in controversies. Uh, and, and quarrels. That was the second thing. They were arrogant, you know, but they were also people, they acted like they knew everything, but they were also people that got involved in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions and constant friction between men of corrupt mind. So these people were people that would not only be proud and arrogant with what they taught, which was false, but they'd also get into little arguments about it. I mean, let's discuss this word and that word and let's not go for the real whole meaning of, of, of the text, but let's, let's get caught up on side issues and other things. And I tell you what, there are so many people that want to take up so much of your time on things that are so complex and challenging and off to the side but have got nothing to do with the gospel and with the truth of God's word. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't study and go deep in depth. No, that's good. But if you get that, if you want to do that to try and show how great you are, and so how might a fantastic, you could be a false teacher. You could be getting right in there, distorting everything, trying to you know, tell people so you know what you're right, and you could be arrogant, think you know what you say when you don't know anything, and then at the other time, you could be causing these controversies which result in these kind of things, envy, People say, oh, he's not as good as that person or, gee, I don't like what he says. I think that's true. And people conflicting against one another, divisions start and constant friction and they've been robbed of the truth and godliness. But look what happens. Paul says here that it seems that, that these people uh, have also looked at their teaching and their false teaching as a means to financial gain. And he's about to unpack all of that because what they were doing has relevance for us all. And he says they think that godliness is a means to financial gain. And it seems that they were trying to profit off what they were doing. They were trying to profit off their false teaching and they were using their position to influence others so that they could get more and that they could get. They were greedy. They were people that were, you know, manipulating the, the people that they were supposed to be encouraging to live a life of love and freedom. They were putting a burden on them. And so Paul here gets to the very heart of the response and this is where he comes and speaks words that I think are so relevant to us today who, um, who are in the midst of 
discontent with appetites that are constantly being fed and bombarded by our society and our life. And this is what he says. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. He says, if, if you can find contentment and you can follow God, then you're set. You know, this is great gain. And then he says for, and this, this, this means he's going to have an argument for contentment here. This is what it's, what it's pointing to. We brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. No one can argue with that, can they? I mean, we came in naked and with nothing. We didn't own anything when we came in. And when we leave, we're going to take with us nothing material um, in our possessions. We can't take that with us. And, and I think uh, it's what Paul's saying is it should be therefore pretty easy <laughs> to find contentment. Logically, you brought nothing into the world. You start off with nothing. You're going to end with nothing. So to actually manipulate your life around and live your life as if your acquirement of things is what life's all about just seems, you know, ludicrous. He says, you know, took nothing, it came nothing into the world with nothing. We're going to leave with nothing. So contentment should be pretty easy. Then in verse 8, here's how he applies it. But if we have, and the, if, if we have, is Paul and the crew that are, you know, travelling around with him, if we have food and clothing... We will be content with that. And uh, I just think, good for you, Paul. <laughs> you, know, you might be content with that, but I want just a little bit more than food and clothing. I, I don't know if you say that too, but, but I think, oh, Paul, that's great, but you know, I want more. I just don't want just that. And Paul's saying, uh, if we have enough to live on, if we have food... And clothing, and if we've got enough to eat and just enough than the shirt on our back, then we'll find contentment. Now, I don't know about you, but when you hear that, you know there's some truth in it, don't you? Like you believe that that's right and you know that this is God's word and it's true. But somehow you, you maybe think, I ought to get to the place where I can live like if I've got enough to eat on and enough to wear and if my family's got enough clothes and food, then that's it. You know, we stop there, we're happy. You know, of course, why would we need more than that, Jonathan? But there's something in me and perhaps in most of you that is probably not satisfied with that position. That, that's, you that it's find it very difficult to be content with that. And so the next verses are for you and for me. Um, the next verses are ones we, we need to hear. In verse 9 it says, uh, people who want to get rich, and that little phrase, again, you know, um, uh, can be translated, people who want to live richly, uh, that is people who uh, want to have more than they need, people who want to go ahead with life, that, that want to, uh, you know, amass more than, than they need for a day or amass more than they need, you know, people who want to save up wealth, buy, you know, more than one house, they want to do this together and they're trying to, you know, uh, get more and more and more. That's probably, you know, many of us here. Then he says, those people, they fall into the temptation and trap 
and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. I mean, that's not good news, is it? Um, when you hear that, you think people who want to get rich, who want to have more than enough, are tempted, they're going to fall into a trap, they'll face a trap uh, that may lead them down to a track that's encouraging. And here's what it's saying um, for, for you and I, that we need to know, Paul's saying, you and I need to know today that if you do want to have more than just barely, just, to, just enough to get by, you are setting yourself up for temptations specific temptations that people who are in poorer countries just cannot even experience. People in the third world cannot even understand. Like, like they, they can't even have that. And I don't need to tell you this because you know this yourself. I mean, maybe of you, many of you are, have experienced in your own life that the pursuit of more than enough has led to destruction in your marriage. Perhaps you can say, my marriage ended because uh, my, my wife you know, just devoted herself to her career and nef- neglected the family. And maybe you, uh, you might look at that. And maybe if you're a husband today and you say, I ruined my marriage by just making my career my goal and the family suffered and I was never home and I was just trying to get more and more and it ruined destruction. Yes, I can, I, I can understand that. Or maybe many of you know friends or family who have you know, got bankrupt because they wanted more but instead of more being enough, they needed more than enough and so they took out bigger loans and bigger debt and they started getting more and more and they ended up bankrupt and they found that they just couldn't live in that way and you look at that verse and you said yeah they fall into a trap and into uh, and into many foolish harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction I can understand that I can I can sense that that's right I've seen it and if you have more than you need there are temptations and sins that you can fall into and could fall into you couldn't fall into if you lived in a third world country. And then Paul goes on and he says, for the love of money, for the love of money, that is prioritising the pursuit of money above and ahead of other things that you could pursue, like your values and family and all the things that God would want you to pursue. If you make the pursuit of money your chief goal, if, if that's what it, it means to love money, then you need to know that it's a root of all kinds of evil. Some of you could raise your hand today and say, that's exactly what destroyed uh, my life, my families. Maybe some of you are back today because you left years ago pursuing money and found that you got to a point where it just, you got bankrupt or maybe you got into such financial trouble that you realise that that does not get you where you wanted to go. And perhaps you were back here today saying, yeah, God's got me here. You know, um, I tried that and I can testify. Maybe that's what you would do this morning. And 
it says here that some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith. So not only is it temptation that you'll uh, get all temptations that can lead you to a trap and lead you, you know, into other things that lead you down a road that leads to destruction, but your faith can be shipwrecked because you pursue financial gain above faith in, in God, faith in Christ. This is huge. Um, what happens here? is that many of, of us today know that we have, uh, we, you know, know that if you have more, you and I, if you have more than you need, then you've got a potential, if you're doing that, to walk away from Christianity because money can become your ultimate pursuit. And if you have more than you need, then you're set up and you're tempted to, you can be tempted to walk away from your faith. And Many people we can probably name who have done that and we know that that has happened. So what do we do? <laughs> How do we do that when we know we're in a society where it says, you need more, you need this, you need to upgrade, you're not, you don't have the latest, you need everything and screaming out at us and then to help that, you know, we, we, we want more and then and the discontent rises and as we start to feed it a little bit, it gets worse and worse and then, you know, Paul's saying, well, if you're like that, <laughs> you're set up for temptations that could lead to destruction and lead to the end of your face. So, so what can we do? What can we do? In that, and Paul says, well, here's, here's what I want you to do. And I've missed putting it on here. Hang on, let me check. No, there it is. There it is. But you, Paul says, but you, man of God, flee from all this. He's talking to Timothy in that in- environment. And he's talking to the people that Timothy is going to talk to as well. And he says, but you... He's giving practical advice, man of God. And and he says, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. And here, Paul gives us a framework for dealing with contentment. What he says is, if you will do these kind of things, it will help you deal with contentment. If you have more than you need and and more than you'd ever thought you had, if you have... uh, Extra, and that's us, all of us, most generally all of us have more than we need, more than enough. And he's saying, if, if that's you, if that's you, then the temptation is that you'll start to pursue that and get more than you can with the extra and you will allow that to influence your life. But he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a conscious adult decision to turn to turn and quit pursuing more and start pursuing something else. See how he says that? Man of God, flee from all this, all that effort, all that time, all that thinking about how I can get more, and turn, make a conscious decision, turn from it and start to pursue Godliness and righteousness and, and gentleness and faith and love and start putting your time into that and, and that will help you. It will help you deal with the got to have more, got to have bigger, got to have better, got to upgrade. 
It would take that emotion response and, and, and that effort that we feel and then we try and meet that need by getting more. If we, if we take that and we channel it into these things that he's calling us to do, then we will fight contentment. You know, most of us think, oh, uh, got to be, when it comes to discontentment, Got to be content, got to be content, got to be content. You know, and we go around going, oh, I'll be happy with one gig's enough, one gig's enough, you know, or happy with a car, don't need a new car, don't need a new car. Don't need... And we kind of fool ourselves by thinking that we don't need something we really do want, you know, is going to solve it. You know, you go, oh, please, I don't want, I don't want, but we really do want that. And it's kind of like wishful, and what Paul's saying, that won't work. You have to make a conscious grown-up decision to actually take that desire and the, the, the things that are, you're tempted to use to, to fulfil that need and channel it into other things. So Paul makes it more and more uh, clear that the way to deal with discontent is not to decide to be content, you know, just like by hoping really hard, It's to flee the things you're pursuing and flee something else. And then he says this, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope and their ultimate desire in wealth, which is so uncertain, we all know that, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our, let's say that together, enjoyment. So if we do have more than enough, we don't have to feel guilty and terrible. If you have more than enough, God's saying, that's not something you have to beat yourself up over. I, I provide you things to enjoy. And these things are okay to enjoy. But if you have more than enough, know that you are in great, great danger of temptation if you make them your goal. So enjoy the things you have. But then, Timothy, I want you not only to command the people, and that's what I'm trying to do to you, is command you today, just like he did, to not get arrogant if you have more than you need and to put your hope in God, not the things that you have, and then command them And here he gets really specific and practical to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. If you want to take your appetite for more stuff, the best way to do is to flee from the desire to meet that appetite but to channel that into actually taking your stuff and giving it to other people. Use it to ways to help those that are most needy than you. Use the extra and the energy instead of trying to get more. Use the time and the effort and the thinking to try and think how you can help others that don't have as much as you. You can do it by by doing good deeds to other people, by being generous and being willing to share. And, 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 you know, there are many ways that you can do that. There's a way coming up soon, you know, uh, Man, if I've, I've really loved uh, supporting a child with compassion. I mean, there are people that just don't have 
enough to get by and if you would help support one of them, you know, the whole life is changed. And we, we love getting little uh, letters from Abdul and, and the kids pray for him just about every night, you know, and we say, look, we're, we take, we've got more than enough and we're giving to him so that he can live, you know, and, he, and when Grant Norsworthy comes, he's going to talk about supporting a child for compassion. That might be some way you take your little extra. You know, I've heard of uh, people in our church, you know, Marg Docking shared last uh, Sunday night that what she's doing is helping build uh, toilets in the slums of Corrigocho over in uh, Kenya, Nairobi. And, and, you know, she's taking the more that she has and she'll take the more that you have and the effort that you want to, to help build more toilets over in Corrigocho. And, and the other way, you know, you might be sitting back saying, how can I, what is there that I can put my effort into thinking? And, you know, one of the things that would just help you do that, most of us never even know about. Most of us are seeing the stuff we need every day but we're not seeing the needs of the world. I mean, you can get up every day and just go to work in Wodonga. You don't even know that there are people that are dying and starving. And, and we just, you know, have bigger and more and we think it's fine. You need to educate yourself on the needs in the world. And there's places like uh, Website One, you know, there's uh, injustice uh, organisations that you can um, read up. Gary Hargrave, Gail talked about it in last week's message as well, who is trying to free slaves in the world as well, children that are in prostitution and children that are slaves. You can get your small group to be starting to do things around helping the people in Malawi that don't have enough. Uh, do you see Do you see how we can fight discontent by pursuing something else with our things to help others? So educate yourself do good deeds for others and, and be generous. You know, one of the ways I was just, we were just reflecting, talking with someone, you know, we went away to, um, to Queensland, Gold Coast the other, other day and we enjoyed it. We loved it. For the family, it was just fantastic, you know. And I was just talking to someone and they said, oh, wouldn't, wouldn't I have to spend that much money, you know, on a trip like that, you know. And, and I said, you know, how, you know how we do? We've actually just committed to regular percentage giving. You know, we've chosen a percent every week that we give, you know, give, give back to God every week. We save, you know, a percentage. We, we seek to do that. And then we seek to live off on the rest. And you know what? When people say, but couldn't you be doing something else? Yeah, we are. We are. We do it consistently, regularly, every single week so that we can be generous as a habit as a way that we're committed to that, then when we've saved them, you know what? We can just enjoy the extra things that God's given to us without fear or, or worry. All of us have more than we need. Don't feel guilty about it. Enjoy it. But when it comes to thinking, how can I get more? How can I pursue more wealth? How can I, this discontentment? Challenge that because you could be someone who's not here if you allow that to rule your life. Oh, gee, I pray for you all because I feel it myself. And we all live in a world that we have to stand firm against and don't let our discontent drive your life. So think about that. Make an adult decision to actually do some things that will do exactly what this is. Be good. Be rich in good deeds. You know, do, do good deeds. Be generous and willing to share. And you know what? Why would we want to do this? Every time we do in this way, you will be laying up for yourself treasure, a firm foundation and treasures in heaven in the coming age. 
And when you can't take anything into the world, uh, from the world, you'll be going to a world where you've stored up so much good things. And the other thing, as you do that, you'll be taking hold of life that is truly life. A life that is free from the control and the oppression of more upgrade, better, better to a life that says, I've been given my time and energy to help others that haven't got as much as me. Let's uh, take hold together, church, of the life that is life and live completely different to others who say, got to have more, got to have bigger, got to have better. Let's pray. Oh, God, uh, we... We need to know about the needs in our world and we need to stop waiting for somebody else to come and talk to us about it. God, we need to really start to engage with uh, people around us that are uh, in our world that are hurting and suffering. And God, we pray that you'd help us to be those that are not you know, pursuing those things uh, but are... Uh, thinking of ways that we can take the extra that we have to help others. Well, we thank you for blessing us. We, we have so much. Help us to, to use that to help others. And God, we pray that in the midst of our being feelings of discontent, it would just be a reminder that it's time not to purchase, not to buy, not to upgrade, but time to give, time to give away, time to help. Lord, we look forward to the day when we go to be with you and we pray that you'd find us uh, faithful with the things that you've given us on this, in this life and in helping to give that to others as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're just in the next moments, we'll take your blue cards out. We're just about to take our offerings and uh, just as we come to respond, there might be again a prayer need decision you want to make. Um, if you're interested in being baptised, we're just about to have another um, opportunity for you to, to do an inquiries course. You could indicate that. If you want to talk about anything, you know, you could just put that on. I want to meet. Let's make a time. We just want you to respond. And now, just as you come, we're going to come and give this morning. So why don't we just, again, pause again and recognise all that God's given us. God, you're good. Thank you. We give now an offering to you. We give ourselves to you. We say, God, in this world where uh, it's all screaming out at us, we say, God, we, we love you and we want you to be our first in our life. So be glorified as we give, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. So if have the offering bowls come around, you could put in your blue cards. That would be great. And let's worship God with our giving. Let's do that.